Colossians chapter 3. Once again, we'll be looking at the section from verse 12 through verse 17, focusing our attention on verses 13 and 14 today. Last week, we looked at verse 12. At the garments that Paul says we as believers in Jesus Christ are to put on every day. The garments of mercies, of kindness, of humbleness of mind or humility, of meekness, and of long-suffering. And then he adds to those in verse 13. Well, let's, let's go ahead and read the text. Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, agape, love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Shall we pray? Father, it is our desire this morning to sit at your feet. Lord, to have you teach us through the wisdom and understanding of your Holy Spirit. And in your precious and holy and pure word. Strengthen, strengthen, Lord, our hearts and our understanding, Lord, as to how we are to live as your children, as your servants, as your people. We thank you, Lord, so much for what you have provided for us through the person, work, and character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how blessed we are, Lord God, to know that you have made salvation free through him. Stir our hearts, encourage us, Lord, challenge us if necessary to know, to understand, and to live, Lord, your word from our salvation in our sanctification, in Jesus' name, amen. It used to be a common saying that, that you can judge a man by his clothes, but that isn't always true. There have been many who, though their character was impeccable, were obliged to dress in worn-out, unbecoming garments, while rascals and incorrigible fiends have clothed themselves like princes of royal blood. The saying itself is not always true in regard to the behavior of the children of God and the unsaved. 
Wolves are oftentimes arrayed in sheep's clothing. Ministers of Satan or ministers of the devil can appear to be ministers of righteousness, as we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. While true believers may have garments that are badly stained, soiled, and torn by failure and sin. The Apostle Paul has made it significantly clear that the garments of the new man are to be put on in place of the old habits we are to discard. The old habits like old stinky clothes that we need to get rid of and get as far away from us as possible and put on the new clothes that reflect the righteousness of Christ in us. Remember that habits refer to both clothing and behavior. Scripture being our best example of this. Consider what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 8 when he said, Let thy garments be always white. That could be and should be understood to me. Let your habits and behavior be pure and righteous. Even the wicked are depicted as clothed, but in a, in a very different way. In the prophecy of Zechariah, for example, Joshua, the high priest, standing on behalf of the nation of Israel, appeared this way to portray the moral pollution of the whole nation. How did he appear? Well, we're told in Zechariah 3, verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Now, by the way, Joshua was not the filthy one. He was the high priest that was called to show the people how morally corrupt they had become. But again, there is that analogy of filthy garments. Self-righteousness is also described in Isaiah in this manner. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, in other words, all of our righteousnesses that we say we produce, that we ourselves have, they're just filthy rags. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Interestingly enough, the filthy rags in the Hebrew are considered menstrual cloth, unclean. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. As we press on to describe the next set of garments in verse 13. Paul goes deeper into the true nature and character of one who has risen with Christ. And we need to understand this because we, we have to go back to the very first part of, of chapter 3. Where it says, if you then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections. Or your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We see that as the very foundational aspect of understanding what we are to put on as believers in Jesus Christ. If you be risen with Christ, then we need to see the deeper and richer character and nature of what we're to put on. Verse 13 says, 
Paul says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We are to put on the garment of forbearing or forbearance. And may I say, not separate from the previous heart attitudes just mentioned in verse 12. Not to be separated from mercies and kindness and long-suffering and humbleness of mind and meekness. Not to be separated from those, but to enhance those. Because these are garments of action when you think about it. The word itself, uh, the Greek word for forbearing here, means to hold back. It means to put up with. It means to refrain, to bear with, and to control. And that brings to mind something is often forgotten by believers. Something is often forgotten by us. Because there are many things about every one of us that people have to forbear. But did you notice what I said? Did you hear what I said? I didn't say it in the way that our flesh would say it. I said there are many things about every one of us that people have to forbear about us. People have to put up with a great deal of things when dealing with us. Let's face it. Every one of us is guilty of some weakness. Every one of us is guilty of some unattractive behavior, of some wrong behavior, of some mistreatment, of some neglect, of some failure, of some bad habit, of some irritating behavior. Uh, Stop me whenever you want. There are some things about every one of us that just turn some people off. None of us escapes this fact. Now, we irritate some people, and some people irritate us. You don't have to agree or not. I know that we do. Have some people that irritate us. Ah, but the scripture is clear. The scripture is clear. Put on the clothing of forbearance. Put on the clothing of forbearance. Put on the clothing of holding back, of putting up with, of refraining, of bearing with and controlling yourself. Put on the clothing of forbearance. The believer is to forbear the flaws and weaknesses of others. I want you to consider the verse again, verse 13. Forbearing one another and, notice that word and, that's a big word to hear, and forgiving one another. See, we, we can't just say, listen, I, I, yeah, I forbear him. I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put up with, okay. But I'm not really ready to forgive. That's the way we are sometimes. Say amen if you believe that. That was kind of was kind of calm there. 
forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel, a complaint against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, Paul expressed the very same thought to the church of Ephesus when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He said, let all bitterness, now listen carefully. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Now he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers in Jesus Christ. Put those things away. Put bitterness away. Put wrath away. Anger and clamor and evil speaking. Put it away from you with all malice. That's the way the world deals with these things. Then he says in verse 32, And be ye kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There that is again. There it is again. As Christ forgave us, so do ye. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, forgive. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he told them to pray in a certain manner. He didn't say pray this prayer. He said pray in a certain manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he said, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, verse 12. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Then we would say, that's a nice amen. Nice place to put an amen. But Jesus wasn't finished with his thought. Because his focus, as he concluded his pattern of prayer for his disciples, was this. If you look at verse 14 of Matthew 6, he goes not to the issue of give us this day our daily bread or of how we do anything else. He goes directly to the issue of forgiveness and he says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is a powerful statement. When we read that second part of verse 15, we kind of go like, ooh, ooh, ah. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And Jesus was telling his disciples that they as failing saints who would seek a restoring forgiveness from a loving father could no longer relish attitudes of malice and enmity and an unforgiving spirit toward brothers or others who offend them. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, we're failing saints. But forgive us. Forgive us our iniquities. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us these things as we forgive our debtors. 
If they do not forgive their offenders, how could they expect their father's forgiveness when they come to him consider or confessing their failures? The same goes for us. Getting back to Paul, he was in effect saying to us, consider how freely you have been forgiven. Consider how freely you have been forgiven. How can you harbor those attitudes or maintain an unforgiving spirit toward those who have sinned against you? Considering how freely you have been forgiven. If the Lord had dealt with you according to your offenses, how fearful would your judgment be? We don't oftentimes think of those things in these terms, but we need to. Especially if that powerful statement of Jesus, when he tells us, if we forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I want you to consider the prayer of Hezekiah in Isaiah 38. When you read that, you realize that the Lord had given Hezekiah extra years of life, 15 years of life. And Hezekiah, in one portion of this prayer, in in verse 17 of Isaiah 38, says this. He said, Behold, for peace... I had great bitterness. Literally what he was saying was, in my peace came this great bitterness. But then he said, and listen carefully. He said, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. There there are not many statements made by by that that many Old Testament people. (laughs) about God's love toward them in that respect. Oh, there's a few. David, of course, but, but here Hezekiah. What, what a statement. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Then he says this, and listen, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. For God no longer sees them. Similar to casting our sins as far as east is from the west. Or casting our sins into the deepest part of the ocean. And yet our God in Christ Jesus has forgiven our sins graciously and lovingly, putting away every sin and making us fit for his holy presence. This is why he says at the beginning of verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, as God's elect, you are holy, you are set apart from the world and from sin and set apart unto me, unto God. You are holy and you are beloved. You are loved by God. Just as Hezekiah sensed the very love of God in his life when He is giving thanks to God for that life 
those extra years. Our responsibility now is to forgive as we have, as we have been forgiven. And there's not one of us, myself included, there's not one of us here that can say, well, you know, I, I have a, a definitely a lot more to forgive than others, and so I have more to think about. No, you have nothing to think about. You have only one thing to do, and that's be obedient to the Word of God. Our responsibility now is to forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, let me ask you this question. Can we be strong in this attitude and action? Can we be strong in forgiving others? Can we be strong in that? We certainly can't be strong in our flesh. Why? Because it's our flesh that reacts the other way. It's our flesh that reacts contrary to forgiveness. So it's not going to be in us. It has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Not by what we have. Not by what we've done. Not by power or might. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how things get done. Can we be strong in this attitude and action of forgiveness and forbearance? Certainly by the power of his Holy Spirit. Certainly supported by and clothed with mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering. Those very things that coincide, as we, we talked about last time, that coincide somewhat with the, with the fruit of the Spirit. But realize this, all of them are strengthened by God's love. And we'll see in just a moment. But consider Romans 15 verse 1. Consider what Paul says when he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And once again, are we strong in ourselves? No. Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Which totally puts our power or our strength or our, our intellect or our wisdom out the window. We're to be strong in the Lord. Therefore, when Paul says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. It isn't about us. It's always about Jesus. It isn't about us. It's always about God. It's always about his word. It's always about the things that he's given us to do so we might reflect the goodness and mercy and kindness of our God. Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. And again, not by might or power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. There's, a, there's one of the garments that we talked about last week. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Think about this, lest thou also be tempted. We're no better than anybody else. We're no better than the person who has fallen flat on his face because we've fallen on our faces many times. And we're very thankful that someone came and ministered to us rather than attacked us or rather than put us in our place or rather than, than condescended us. That's why he says what he says. You which are spiritual, you understand because you've been there. 
I have to give you this. It's just something that the Lord would have us to hear in Psalm 51. I think you all know where we're going. If you know Psalm 51. There sure are a lot of Psalms. 150, by the way. Okay. Now, this won't be up here, so this is free. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, thou wilt not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. It is with that broken spirit. It is with understanding what David went through to get to that place where he said those words. Where he tells us, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And renew in me a free spirit. With that in mind, bear ye one another's burdens. Verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It is what is described as the royal law of love. It is the law of love. In fact, that is what the Ten Commandments are summed up by. For thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I'll be quoting that again from another gospel in just a moment. But let's finish off here in Galatians verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. That is definitely a principle that God would have us to know and to learn and to live in the 21st century as we wait the coming of Jesus Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, The reality is we're nothing without Christ. The reality is we we have nothing without Jesus. But in Jesus we have everything that we need for life and godliness. So why do we act as if we are something when we're nothing? I'd rather just be nothing and do whatever the Lord wants me to do than to try to be something. And don't make anybody else something. Don't get into anybody else's head that make them think that they have, they have something. I, I, we, we have nothing but Jesus. I thank God for what he's given us. I thank God for the gifts that he's given us. But if he doesn't give us gifts, I mean, what, then what do we have? We have nothing. But in Jesus, we are something. And we have everything because of him. That's the problem with the people that 
went around a man that had been beaten, sadly beaten. But a Samaritan stopped and gave aid. He who was nothing became something. Paul in Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This, this kind of transitions us to the next verse that we want to look at today. From putting on the graciousness of forbearance and forgiveness, we now move on to the putting on of God-likeness, which is found in verse 14 of Colossians chapter 3. When Paul says, and above all these things put on charity, put on agape, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Now Paul, at the end of that phrase that we saw in, in Ephesians chapter 4, said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that which binds them together, the peace of God. But here, Paul says, above all these things, put on charity, love, which is the bond of perfectness. Love, agape. This is obviously the main garment of the believer's new life. This is to be the main garment of the believer's new life. Not only, by the way, is it above all, as Paul describes it, above all these things. All these things that have been mentioned already above mercy and above kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering and even forbearance and forgiveness. Above all these things. It is also called the bond of perfectness, the bond of completeness. And this is very significant and very important for us to understand. Because in other words, love binds all the clothing. Love binds all the garments together. The great qualities of the believer's life. Love binds them all together. Just like love binds together all the fruit of the Spirit. As one fruit, love is that outer covering that keeps it all together. If a believer has put on love, if he really loves people, then he is always clothed, always clothed with mercies, always, always clothed with kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and forbearance and forgiveness, always. We never take those off because we never need to take them off. They don't get soiled. They don't get dirty. They only get neglected. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus himself. And this is something I made reference to a little earlier, but I'll read it in Mark chapter 12, in verses 29 through 31. When asked by a scribe concerning the law and the greatest commandment, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echod. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. 
And the second is like. The second is just like the first. Namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. But again, that is the two tablets together. The four commandments of the first tablet to love the Lord our God. Not to have any other gods before us. Not to make any graven images. And the six on the other tablet that all deal with our love for our neighbor. Thou shalt not kill or, or murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. So much to covet also when you think about the two commandments that deal with covetousness. And of course, Paul would add these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the agape love of God in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Now, and now abide faith, abideth faith, hope, and charity, or love, or agape, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is agapao, agape. Two things need to be understood about this love. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, it is not only the unconditional love of God, where we have sought to define the word agape from the scriptures, and this is what it is to us. It's what we understand it to be, the unconditional love of God. But it is not only the unconditional love of God, which is a love that gives without seeking anything in return. It is a love that is not based on any condition whatsoever. Jesus didn't like us or love us because of certain things we did. No, not at all. We see it very clearly in, in, in the statement that we, we all should have memorized for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. So it is not only the unconditional love of God but it is also the kind of sacrificing love. A sacrificing love that took our Lord Jesus to the cross. It was that love that took him to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. And in the imagery of clothing, this garment is to be the overcoat. The very love of Christ Jesus himself, which is so sadly lacking in so many believers most of the time. It is the coat that covers us. The love of God covers us. It is the righteousness of God in Christ and his love that covers us. The second thing is the word perfectness. The bond of perfectness or completeness. For it signifies the accomplishment of an end or a goal that the Lord has in view. That of making us like Jesus. So two things have to be understood. The love of God is a sacrificing love that brought Jesus to the cross. And the second thing is that the Lord has a goal 
for us in his love. It is that of making us like Jesus. Now we've already kind of touched on that in Colossians 3 verse 10 where Paul says, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, Jesus, that created him, the new man. And so there, there's a reference to that image of, of, of Christ that we're renewed in. We're renewed in the knowledge after the image of Christ. But to understand it even better, we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hmm. And if we want it even more clear, we can look at Romans 8, 29. When Paul said, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. But he predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son. What is that image, you see? What is that image? So this is our wardrobe, folks. This is our wardrobe. It is ours to wear. Bowels of mercies. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. And above all these things, agape, charity, love. It is ours to wear. And we are to wear it every day of our lives. Every day of our lives. If, if we can say Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God's people in full dress, in full regalia, as it were. But understand, understand, that these clothes do us no good if we leave them in the closet of God's word. They do us no good if we read them and leave them there instead of put them on, put on, put on. We must put them on every day. When we put them on every day, They'll stay on. You know, there, there are those of us from a previous generation who would remember that in spite of struggling to make ends meet, like many of our families did at one time, many of our parents made sure that we still had good clothing. They called it our Sunday best. Put on your Sunday best. The only time we wore it to distinguish from, every, from our everyday clothes. And usually they were only worn at church. I remember the first suit I got. I don't think I can get into it anymore. It was only about this big. 
And we can't think that we can. But the clothes that the Lord gives us, the new garments that we received at our conversion are not like those Sunday best at all. Because there are Sunday best, there are Monday best, our Tuesday best, Wednesday best, Thursday best, Friday best, and Saturday best. As well as our Sunday best. And they are new garments that never wear out. They are for all occasions. Every occasion. Every place we go. They never get soiled. They never get out of shape. They never fade or sag. We are to wear them everywhere and at all time. We are to wear them at home and at work and at school, at play, in church, and all over town. Wherever we go, we are to wear the garments that Christ has given us to wear. Our spiritual clothing reflects the person, the work, and the character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5. You know, we're almost done here. I don't know what I'm going to do in the next 15 minutes. (laughs) But Paul said this. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also, We have access by faith into this grace, into this undeserved favor wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. Not the hope of the world, which actually becomes the hopelessness of the world. No, we rejoice in the hope of the truth of God, which has already been made clear to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We know the glory of God is coming because we know Jesus is coming. And then he, said, and then he goes on and says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Well, this is the hard part for us to understand sometimes, but don't, don't, don't think about it too much. Just understand it this way. We glory in tribulations also. By the way, what did Jesus tell us? He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. And that was even before he goes to the cross. It was a sure thing what was going to happen when Jesus died, when he shed his blood, when he was buried, and three days later he would rise again. Sure thing. He'd already overcome it. So he said, we glory in tribulations also, Paul says, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Tribulation produces patience for us. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. And here it is. Because the love of God, the agape of God, the unconditional love and mercy and grace of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, remember the issue of strength? When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In due time, at the perfect moment, Just like his birth was the perfect moment, Galatians 4, verse 4. So was his death on the cross. 
In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. In other words, God exhibited his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, which tells us something. God wasn't waiting for us not to be sinners. That wouldn't have happened. We were entrenched in the flesh. There's nothing that we could have done to save ourselves. There's no way. And anybody who thinks that they can save themselves is sadly mistaken. That is why it is important for us to understand that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're not saved by what we do. We are saved by everything Jesus did for us. Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Lastly, I want to read to you John 13. Verses 34 and 35, bringing us back to what we've been dealing with from the onset of our study this morning. Jesus, with his disciples, on the night that he would be betrayed, he said, a new commandment I give unto you. Now, we have to stop for just a moment and think, was it a new commandment, really? But understand this. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you. It was a new commandment because it was a commandment that is eternal. It is a commandment that has no beginning and no end. It is a commandment that focuses completely and totally on the kind of love that God has given to us through his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. An unconditional, sacrificing love. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This is how the world will know. This is how all people will know. It isn't by what we drive, or where we live, or how we live. It's not based on all of the, you know, the toys that we might have in this life. Or whether we have any at all. The world shall know that we are his disciples, the disciples of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ, the believer in Jesus Christ will be known because he has love one to another. It begins here, folks. Dying to self begins here. The example of Jesus Christ in our life begins here, one to another. The world shall see, and the world shall know.
Oh, how much Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so.